This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Ash Sky Keen, who tutors mathematics from home with their two-year-old child. They love community organizing and helping neurodivergent students navigate math. And here we are reading a letter from a listener. We have one more question. A yeah. bonus question, if you will, that is about sort of more direct levels of family estrangement. If you're up for it, I will read it. Okay, I'm ready. So the subject is Done With Dad, a classic. I, By the way, listeners, you may or may not know this. I have two wrist tattoos. One of them says, stop your dad. And the other says, abolish fatherhood. Conceptually, don't worry, I'm not going to take away your dad if you like him. And I got them, you know, when I was kind of in the throes of my whole family turmoil. And I went with my dear friend, Calvin, who knows me very, very well. And when I initially went in, I was like, I'm going to get tattoos that say, kill your dad and kill your fucking dad. And he started his suggestion to me with this. He was like, Danny, I love you. You can do anything that you want. And because, you know, I was like at a 50 on mm-hmm. a scale of 10 in terms yeah. of like off the charts, emotional distress. So I was just like vibrating like a chihuahua all the time. There was just like a six month period where I just looked like a cold, small dog. I've been um, there. Yeah. And I was just like, yes, that's true. I can. Thank you for opening with that. Because if you had said anything else, I would have been like, you're not my dad. Don't tell me what to do. And he was like, you can get any tattoo that you want. I wonder if there's another way to frame like a similar sentiment, but that won't, you know, freak people out when you go in for a handshake. And I was like, thank you. I will think about that. Maybe. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, okay, I will not get any tattoos that say kill your fucking dad. He was like, great, you can if you want to. And I was like, I know. Um, anyways, that's I'm how I ended friend. up with I Actually, he, since, he is since an the angel. first time I heard you tell that story uh, on the show, I've been wanting to ask you like, what the abolished fatherhood thing means to you, if you're comfortable sharing about that. Oh, have I told this tattoo story before and forgotten about it? Or did you mean just like my whole family being like a cabal? I think... I remember you saying that you do have a tattoo that says abolish fatherhood, but you didn't really expand on like what that means to you. So I wanted to ask about yeah. it. I mean, basically in that moment, I mostly meant I want specifically for my father to be dead. Um, and this is like a sentiment that feels like it sums it up. So it wasn't like, oh, I've really like read a lot of like, uh, you know, family abolishment literature and I feel really like well equipped to speak on it. But I, I think one of the things that I did have very clearly in mind was this kind of um, very, like not even like a culture of ownership, just like actual ownership that um, parents and specifically fathers, like in my growing up years um, and ways in which like decisions that my parents got to make around my care and the care of other children that were like wildly unsafe, but that were not questioned because they were happening around, um, you know, these are my kids. I get to decide what happens to them. And that that itself was the problem. And so just that sense of like that degree of no supervision, no oversight, what you say goes, mm-hmm. um, unless kids show up to school with like really visible bruises or like there's a handful of things that get like state intervention. But 
Um, most of those have to do with like money and race and class signifiers rather than yes. anything else. So yeah, I, I think it really came down to just this sense of whatever whatever this is is not working. We got to get rid of whatever that figure yeah. is. You know, actually, that's a really good point and something I've been thinking about my entire life, sadly, for me, is how so many parents really do uh, think of their children as like pets or worse, like objects that they legally own. And that mm-hmm. is definitely a concept that needs to be abolished for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, and and so much of that is like, it's not even just like a feeling. It's like everything is structurally set up for that um, to to continue. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not even like, oh, we just need like better fathers in place. It's just like, well, systems without oversight don't tend to breed excellent authority figures. Right. Um, and, and so I, I think it can be easy for someone to hear like family abolition and think like, this means you want to literally throw my grandmother in the garbage as opposed <laughs> to like, um, pretty radically reorient the way that we establish like networks of care and like financial distribution in the country. Right. Yeah. Children need to be empowered to be their own advocates. You know, I spent my entire childhood telling everyone who would listen that something was not going right in my home. And um, nobody took it seriously until I ran away from home and my birth parents told me not to come back. That was the first thing they did wrong in the eyes of the state. Yeah. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah. No, there's just so much that had there been other, you know, if I'd had any other option, it's like you're 10 years old and it's like, what are you going to mm-hmm. do? Get an apartment? Right. You know, like yeah. you just, it's it's them or nothing, you know, it's them or the street. So with that long prelude um, and a reminder to myself that I've told this tattoo story at least once on the show now, possibly twice. I so wouldn't I can't say you told the it. story. You briefly mentioned it. You mentioned yeah. it in a way that made me curious to ask about more. Yeah. But at the time, it was mostly because I needed something that was a step down from kill your fucking dad. Yeah. Cool. Excellent choices. And so that's what it, you know, it was great. It served its purpose at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been estranged from my dad for almost 15 years. We were never close to begin with, and my life has since been improved by cutting him out. I have another sibling who is still in contact with our dad and who visits him regularly. My dad is aging and is now in poor health. He's regularly in the hospital for a variety of reasons, and it doesn't seem like he'll be alive for that much longer. For the last few years, my sibling will give me updates on my father's health every time something new happens. And to be completely honest, I don't want to hear it. I've already mourned the loss of his presence in my life, and I don't really know how my sibling expects me to react. My sibling has urged me to reach back out to our dad when it looked like he might be close to death, but I didn't want to, and he ultimately recovered anyways. I don't plan to reconcile with him and I don't plan to attend his funeral when he does eventually die. I want to support my sibling and what will surely be a difficult time when my dad does go. But in the meantime, I have no interest in hearing about what's going on with his health. I know it may sound heartless to say this, but this isn't someone I care to hear about anymore. How do I convey this to my sibling? This is such a great question. And I really want to encourage this letter writer to reframe what they are hearing about when their sibling shares this. Because, Mm. yeah, you don't want to hear about your dad. You don't want to have any more contact with him for the rest of his life. You don't care if he lives or dies. I completely understand and respect all of that. But you do have a relationship with your sibling, right? You care about your sibling and how they're doing. And your sibling, uh, for better or for worse, has a relationship with their father. So... I would encourage you to hear when your sibling brings the latest health update 
you don't, maybe this is a, a big ask, depending on where you are mentally with this, but ideally, you don't have to take that information and process it as if it's about your father who you have all these feelings about. Instead, maybe it would be good for your relationship with your sibling if you heard your sibling give the latest health update about the father and just take that as an update about what's going on in your sibling's life and some stressors that your sibling is dealing with right now. You know, maybe it would be too much to say, pretend that it's your sibling's other parent who you've never met before. That might be impossible. But if you can really, like, take the focus away from caring about the person that you never want to speak to again and just hear those stories as something that your sibling's going through and want support with for their own emotions, um, you know, I think that could be really good for your sibling relationship. I say as someone who's never had any siblings, I don't know. And, you know, maybe that's too big of an ask depending on where you are with your trauma. Maybe you can't do that. But if you can, I think it could be really positive for both you and your sibling. I think that's really lovely. Um, I, I've I've had other letter writers who have written in to me with somewhat similar situations, but with different extended family pressure. And I've had slightly different advice. And I think I'm I'm more in your camp where I feel like there's a lot more opportunity here for like patience and gentleness rather than like, oh, you really need to set like a firm, rigid boundary. Like absolutely letter writer, like never talk to that motherfucker again. I, I support you in that completely. Um, but if your sibling has only like once or twice asked you or encouraged you to reconcile and you said like, I'm not going to be doing that. And then your sibling has been pretty good about letting that one go. I would encourage you. Yeah. To see this as like the kind of, you know, again, like you say that you, you, you're planning on being supportive of your sibling when your father does eventually die. And maybe that just feels different because like once he's gone, I can offer you that support without worrying you're going to try to ask me to reconcile with him. But given that your sibling can't make you, I think, yeah, thinking of it right now is like, this is a way you can offer your sibling support for what they're going through right now. Like it's hard for them that he's in and out of the hospital they're having to do a lot of like logistical and emotional work to help. And that's probably hard. And um, yeah, again, if you're just like, that doesn't work for me, hearing about him makes me feel nuts. And then it like stays with me for days, then I would totally understand that. And if you just can't, you see your way to doing it, then I would just encourage you when your sibling does say that to just say, I'm so sorry, but um, I actually don't want updates on him. Um, You're going to have to talk to somebody else about that. You can do that, but like, you know, gently, lovingly, like this is not someone who's like being a jerk about it or like trying to manipulate you, I think. So you can be gentle about like setting that limit. But if you can see your way to it, I think just, yeah, think of it as you said, like somebody else's parent, just be like, how are you doing? You know, must be tough going to the hospital a lot. How are you feeling? Um, And just focus on how this affects your sibling. And if anything comes up in terms of, you know, I'd really like to see you guys reconcile Again, you can always like draw the line there or just say like, no, thank you. But yeah, if there's any way that you think that you can, I think that would be very sweet and very loving. And if not, that's totally fine. And you can just say, sorry, I'm not, I'm not here for that. Um, I, I feel like both of those are like totally legitimate options. I can both understand why your sibling wants to be able to talk about it with somebody who at least knows like 
who this guy is. And I can also really understand on your end why you were like, you keep knocking on the same door and I would like you to stop knocking, even though I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Like that makes sense to me too. And I, I think I hear so often from people who are being like swamped with really inappropriate and manipulative pressure to reconcile with someone who's really like messed up their relationship that when it's more along the lines of just like sort of like understandable human desires for everyone to be at peace with one another, I feel a lot more like, I don't know, warmly towards everyone involved rather than like, look out for yourself and get out. Because it is true that like sometimes even really like great people just get really uncomfortable with the idea of we're not going to reconcile. That's not going to happen. And it just makes people feel anxious about like, does that mean that someday someone who's mad at me will never forgive me and that I'll be alone? And they get worried. It makes them anxious. People get very, I think, almost superstitious about estrangement at the end of life. Like they kind of feel like, well, if you two won't reconcile, then is there any hope for people to make peace? And that can kind of spiral uh, at an unconscious level. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I had more to say about this one. I feel like I talked for a year at the beginning and and now I kind of got it all out. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, letter writer, it's, it's up to you, like what you have the spoons for and, and where you want to set your boundaries. But it is possible for you to support your sibling through what they're going through while also holding firm that this uh, father that you share is not somebody that you ever want to have contact with or even think very much about again. So I didn't really see that possibility coming through in your letter as something that had occurred to you. So it's worth some consideration to see if it's something you're up for. Yeah. But it's also true that the letter writer, uh, it doesn't, I don't even know that you've ever directly said, aside from, I didn't want to reach out. I don't know that you've ever told your sibling like just once, I'm actually never going to talk to him. I have no intention or desire oh. to reconcile with him. And I like, so I, I, it's, it's not even like, oh, I've been oh, saying this oh, again and right. again and my sibling's not listening to me. So I do wonder actually if maybe your sibling just thinks you're kind of like a little on the fence or like you've been estranged more out of habit. So maybe you just didn't include that information letter writer and maybe you have been super clear, but I think it's also possible for you to to have a conversation where you're just like, I really get why you've been sharing this with me and I know it's so hard for you, but I need you to know I'm actually really committed to this. Um, it's really good for me to remain estranged from him. Um, I don't wish him any ill, but there's not going to be like a tearful bedside reconciliation. There's not unfinished business between us. I don't regret our estrangement. It is a good thing that makes my life better. And I would appreciate it if you would not make any requests of me to contact him. And if you could also like, limit how much you should like I'm, I'm I want to be here for you but I'm not available to talk like on a weekly basis about this guy's health that mm. I think might be worth saying just like I think sometimes if we don't have like a really specific conversation with somebody we assume that they know the things that we know or we assume that we've made it clear through our actions and sometimes that's the case but sometimes it's also like it can really take a load off your chest to just come out and kindly but firmly say what you've said here we were never close. My life's so much better since we became estranged. I don't ever want to reconcile with him. And I don't actually want to hear updates about his health. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Danny, because I realized I was actually making an assumption when I read this letter that um, I was assuming the letter writer had already told their sibling that they are firmly decided that they're not going to have any further contact 
with their father for the rest of his life. And and you're right. They don't actually say that explicitly. So letter writer, if you haven't had that conversation, it's definitely worth happening once. And and now that we look at it that way, like, Danny, do you think that's actually what the letter writer is asking for our help with? Um, asking how to tell the their sibling that for the first time? You know, I'm really not sure. Because like, there's so many possibilities here. It could absolutely be that the sibling does know and just doesn't want that to be the case. It's also possible mm-hmm. that they've never really come out and said it. So it, it felt like one possibility. I didn't know that it was like, it, I didn't read this and think, oh, it's definitely the case that they've never talked, but it does seem distinctly possible that they've never talked. Like, I don't think there's anybody in my life who has any doubt about my feelings about my estrangement with my family or my receptivity towards like hearing from any of them. Like I know everybody knows partly because of the tattoos, but like I've made it real, real clear. But if there was somebody who I'd never had a direct conversation with and they were like, Hey, I like bumped into your mom. I would have that conversation with them where I was just like, I don't ever want to know about that. I I don't want to hear about what she's up to. I don't want that information. Now that you know this, please respect that boundary. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's worth saying uh, at least one time. Yeah. And yeah, you know, loving openness is great. But if you're just like, this is not working and actually my sibling won't let it go, then you have my full permission to just say like, if you bring him up, I'm going to hang up the phone. I don't want to be rude. I'm letting you know in advance because I I really hope you don't do it. Um, I'm not looking for conflict here, but I don't talk to this guy. I don't talk about him and I really need you to respect that. Um, So I feel like this is, we've laid out a lot of options from like, hopefully the one where you and your sibling both want the best for each other. And you just need to like, get a little bit more on the same page all the way up to Mm -hmm. worst case scenario, you're really clear repeatedly and your sibling just like keeps hammering at home and you might have to change tactics there. But, you know, I I hope that you and your sibling can find good ways to work around this. It's hard because these are just two wildly different relationships to a living person. Uh, And it's hard to find compromise between two opposites. So I I recognize that this is not just like an easy fix of like, hey, you take Thursdays, I'll take Tuesdays and we'll both get everything that we want because you want two incredibly different things. Right. It's always so interesting to me to see two people go through very similar things and react in completely opposite ways. Right. No, and even just like reading this, in some ways I really related and in other distinct ways I really didn't because like I don't plan on making any moves towards reconciliation, but oh boy, do I plan on attending my father's funeral. I plan on attending hard. (laughs) I plan on attending with abundance. I'm going to show up like the spirit of Christmas present. I'm going to be wearing a big red beard (laughs) and green robes. I'm going to have a cornucopia and some goats and a bunch of Victorians and passing out hams and apples and I will get thrown out. But I love that. Wild horses couldn't tear me away. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm going to attend every one of the funerals that I managed to live to see. Um, Come hell or high water, I'm going to I'm going to be there with a car that's got a horn that plays like cucaracha. I'm going to be dressed like Gomez Adams, smoking cigars. I'm going to (laughs) learn how to dance. Um, It's it's going to be repellent um, and really ugly and and really beautiful at the same time. So that's my vision for the future, and uh, you know. If anyone wants to come to my father's funeral someday, watch this space. We'll all go. We'll make a day of it. Yeah. I'll Great. be there. Fantastic. I'll be like, are there plus ones? And they'll be like, you're very much not welcome. And I'll be like, 
So yes. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. 